four things first, just my own observations. Um, one, I noticed, Mark, you kept your counsel even in the way you put your points. You didn't give us commands. You must have a prayer of intercession. You said, one of the things we do, yeah. you were commending that as wisdom, yeah. but you weren't putting it as a command and leaving a little freedom there. I, I appreciated that kind of wisdom throughout your talk, just even the way you carefully stated things. Number two, I want to respond to your John Stott story about the village church with the village God with a Phil Riken story about another praying church in Aberdeen, Scotland named… Willie Sills Church. Yeah. Um, Gil Comston, South Church. Gilkinson. South Church, where he served as a pastoral inter intern. This was in something I've written, so I was able to call it up on my computer. Here's what he writes, Riken writes, back in 1992, it was typical for a member of that church to thank God for the way he had brought down the iron curtain of communism in Eastern Europe. From the way that they prayed, it was clear that they believed that their prayers had something to do with the collapse of the Soviet empire. I was tempted to pull one of them aside and say, you know, it was a little more complicated than that. The global economy had something to do with it, not to mention the arms race and the spiritual bankruptcy of communism. It took more than your prayers to pull down the Berlin Wall. I was tempted to say such a thing, but I knew better. Who is to say what part a praying church actually plays in world affairs? To go to Gilcomston's on a Saturday night was to know what was going on in the world. The prayers of God's people really are at the heart of what God is doing. When the true history of the world is finally written, we will discover that Christians like the ones in Aberdeen had a profound influence on world events. Not a village church with a village God, a global church with a global God. I just thought that was a beautiful story. I wanted to share it with you. That's the second thing. The third thing, your second point, brother, some of our church practices will vary over time. Seems like a boring, ordinary, uninteresting point, but there's really actually a lot of pastoral wisdom I think you are imparting. What was under the engine there, or under the hood? My own tendency and pastor's tendency to be easily uh, put in the position to feel guilty if they don't keep something that's been happening to continue to happen. Yeah. And I would just encourage you as pastors, let everything in your church fail except the regular assembling together to preach the Word and pray, you know. Now, you, you'll be able to figure out other things to do, and that's great, but it's so easy for pastors to get into the position, even if you just have 100 members in your church, like these 17 different good things, and they want you at the center of all of them, and it just, life doesn't work like that. And if the Lord has somebody in your congregation who has a real heart for a particular ministry for a while, and they go on someplace else, that particular ministry doesn't have to continue. You can, you have the freedom to, but I think you just have to be careful about the assumption that anything that's happening must continue to happen. I just don't think it's a healthy assumption. And letting members kind of lead out in some of those things. They're excited about this, then sure. let them do that. Often, yeah. A fourth, the fourth and final thing I wanted to offer is a, a testimony, and then I want to hear from you guys any testimonies that you might have similarly, of how a prayer of confession teaches people. So the question is, how, how do these prayers that we do in public, in fact, teach our congregations to pray in private? You said make sure your prayers in private, then move to prayers in public, but it goes the other way. The, the prayers in public teach our members how we 
pray in private. And just one testimony uh, from my own church. Not too long ago, a brother got up and did a prayer of confession. And it was his first time doing it, and he prayed some things that were maybe a little awkward. Like at one point, he was saying, Lord, you tell us not to um, uh, murder and not to even hate people in our hearts, and, and we confess them. Some of us have murdered our pastors. We're sitting there like, well, okay. That's a little awkward. But. Did the church heartily say amen? <laughs> I don't remember. I think I was. <laughs> later that week, four or five days later that week, I was doing a membership interview and saying, well, how have you found the church to this couple? And they said, we can't believe how much the prayers of confession, like just this was one last Sunday, she said, is teaching us to confess our sins to each other, discover them and confess them to each other and to God all week. And I'm like, praise God. Thanks for that brother's prayer right? Do you guys have testimonies like that, how your public prayers have taught your church members to pray privately? Yeah, uh, from a confession standpoint, same thing. Uh, you know, people tend to diagnose the problems of their own heart and soul. Worry. I don't need to worry about money. I don't need to worry about money. But it's something about somebody that gets up and says, Lord, forgive me for the way that I've worried about money. I've shown that at the end of the day, my real problem isn't just in what I have, it's, it's in who I've been serving. My God has been, and then as they start to talk about that, what we found is that lots of folks that are new to Christianity come in, and what they've said is like, you know, I've always thought that the main thing is, all right, if I'm gonna work for money, make sure I do legal things and not illegal things, but there's a way to even pursue money legally and to put my trust in it in a way that's sinful. And so from their standpoint, they don't even know that it's sin or they don't know that they should feel that way until somebody prays and yeah. then it helps them learn how they're to pray and how they're to feel. And it changes the way that they relate towards their God. So we've just found that prayer to be. Awesome. Very helpful. Uh, one, one of the effects it's had on my own heart is um, it uh, primes the soul to be eager to hear the gospel more. So for maybe the past couple months, we've moved our pastoral prayer to the beginning of service. And one of the things that's done just for me personally, uh, me and my wife talk about it. Well, A, just to confess sin every week is just humbling to consider that we have new sins to confess this week. Uh, we're just always pumping them out every day. We have sins to confess. And it just really forms your heart to need the mask, uh, the, gospel, the goodness of the gospel to be applied every week. So it's actually a really wonderful opportunity just to talk about why we all need the gospel today again, why we need it again this week. Um, and that doesn't, you don't, it's not because we're confessing sin on Sunday, it's just that we always have sin to confess. And that's just really humbling just to hear and to think about. It's like, and, and even when you're repeating sins, it's like, we confessed this last week, and we have to confess it again. Uh, but then we have the same gospel we had last week, and we get to hear it again. And so that's been a benefit it's had on, on my own soul. Yeah. Any other testimonies? 
you watching members of your church learn to pray by the way you've prayed publicly? We saw a woman come to know the Lord as an adult. She was probably in her 40s, maybe. And uh, she wrote me the sweetest note after a funeral she went to. She'd gone to this funeral of a friend who lived somewhere else, and uh, they, knew, knowing that she had become a Christian, asked her to lead in a prayer. And she just wrote me this sweet note about this long, just saying, uh, you know, obviously I'm a fairly new Christian, but I've learned how to pray from the prayers at church. So when they asked me, I felt I could say yes. And I just prayed as I learned watching you, us pray on Sunday mornings. Praise God. Mark described what his church does. I'd love to hear what your churches do. And let's just go man by man around. And you can give us an overview of everything you do or just certain things that you have found very helpful, particular things that your church does that you have felt helpful for the congregation in learning to pray together. Thabiti? You're referring to the Lord's Day morning? Yep. Yeah, I think. Well, or, or maybe other organized things you do in the week. Yeah. I th Either. Just thinking about the Lord's Day morning, I think our pattern is very much the same. We're trying to have a kind of conversation with the Lord through the order of service, and uh, we'll very often have a prayer of praise, confession uh, of intercession uh, as well. Um, we try to give attention to having different members in the family uh, pray and lead us in prayer. Part of what we're trying to do is to reflect the fact um, that we are a family yeah. uh, in that way. And so we'll have sisters pray various prayers. We'll sometimes have young people uh, pray various prayers uh, involved in that way. But otherwise, we're largely same have, approach. Have you guys figured out how to do prayers of lament regularly? Because I've been really challenged by Psalm 77 and Mark Brogop's book, and, but I've not quite figured out how to do that yet. Uh, I don't know that we've done it. We, we do them. I don't know that we've done them regularly. Yeah, that's um, right. But, but we have done them. Um, I think it's, a, for me, I think it's a matter of just very intentionally, as I lay out the, the four months or so of services, sort of regularly plotting uh, where we'll would do you, that. Would you like to replace the prayer of confession, maybe, with that time? No, we just add a prayer. Just add a prayer. Mark, uh, on the Nine Marks website, three points on that, three articles. Um, three reasons we ought to corporately lament by Mark Vrogop, it's very good. Why we added a prayer of lament, that's another great article. And then what does a prayer of lament sound like? And there's some sample prayers of lament uh, there, which really struck me. Some of, the, some of the phrases, I'm almost tempted to look them up. Some of the phrases are the same sort of struggling you see in the psalmist, like, Lord, where are you? Yeah. To have a guy get up and pray that kind of language uh, was awkward and biblical. Yeah. And some of those samples you can So if, you, if you're not sure what we're talking about, you can go to the Capitol Hill Baptist website and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago by Mark Vrogop on Psalm 77. If you just read Psalm 77 and think, could we ever pray a prayer like this in my church? And the answer is almost certainly no, not without it being really awkward. So then you've got to think, okay, what could, particularly if you're in leadership in the church, what could I as a pastor do to help our church be able to pray something like Psalm 77? And that's kind of where I am right now trying to trying to figure that out. But that, that sermon is a great way to get into Psalm 77. And Mark has published a book on this recently called The, Gre the Grace of Lament. Dark Clouds. Dark clouds deep Mercy. V-R-O-E-G-O-P. Mark Vrogop. Anyway. Mark, he came here, I guess, two days later. And That's right. Another yeah. one, I think it was Psalm 55. 
and it was I mean it was superb and it really was very helpful to us to think about a psalm a type that's so prevalent in the Psalter like a third of the psalms yes yeah. and so he has really done some wonderful work in that area and really blessed the body of Christ in that regard yeah, yeah. And just to make a sort of contextual point on this is part of why we think about how to do this more often. If, if you're serving in tough contexts, this is really important language for the people who are coming to your gathering. Otherwise, the church always sounds kind of triumphalistic um, and, and folks who have been battered all week uh, or been dodging various forms of suffering all week uh, don't really have a place in the service um, where there's language for that experience, um, where there's opportunity for complaint, you know, where there's opportunity for grievance, all turned toward God uh, in faith as the psalmists, as the psalmists do. Um, and so we're trying to think a bit about how that's even pastorally really important in our context. Or if you're in a context like Jonah said yesterday, where you're blessed and your eyes are kind of closed by all that blessing, you need to remember. Yeah, my, my, uh, this, is, this is a little bit of a prayer of lament from Henson Baptist in Oregon. Um, we think of the challenges of marriage and parenting, the difficulties that overtake our marriages because of porn addiction, broken trust, rampant insecurities, outbursts of anger, the pain of our wayward children who reject you despite everything they were raised to believe, the strains of taking care of aging parents as we watch life drain from their bodies. Oh God, these daily difficulties wear on us and we feel too exhausted to go on. We're exhausted by the physical, mental, emotional trials you have brought on many of us. And it kind of goes on like that. We grieve the anxiety that ravages our lives, the darkness of depression that bleeds in every part of our soul. And it kind of goes on. We hate it, God. We hate it, God. And we confess that we too often struggle to see you in the midst of these trials. But of course, Lord, when it's all said and done, we acknowledge that many of these are from our own sin. And these things fill our hearts with grief. Yet we do not grieve as those who have no hope. On this side of the cross, we know that our grief, sorrow, and sin has been borne by another for us. For there on the cross, Jesus, the ultimate grief bearer, took our sins and sufferings upon himself that we might not, and he kind of goes on. So he, he turns it in this prayer to the hope that we have, but he's done a good job of laying out that grief that people walk in feeling. And I just, when I read this, I think that is so biblical and why don't we pray like this more often? You're going to say something? Well, I, I think that's a beautiful prayer. Um, I, I, I think... Sometimes the more powerful forms of lament, at least for me, are actually um, lodging what, what might appear to be a very legitimate grievance against God. Mm -hmm. right? So in some sense, he's lamenting sins and a, and a general kind of fallenness, but uh, to sort of complain against God that your people, for example, are being persecuted mm -hmm. and ravaged um, and, and sacked, and you could do something. Where are you? Yeah. Right? So there's, there's sometimes that, that lament is sharper than just the, the, the sort of grief this of a hard. fallen world, right? Yeah. No, there, there's an injustice perpetrated here that you have power to do something about, but appear not to be. Yeah. You know, um, how long, oh Lord? Yeah. You know, um, so anyway, again, lament just sort of gives us language for a range of experiences. That's good. Uh, from grief to grievance um, that I think we experience in a fallen world. 
um, that sometimes actually puts distance between us and God. And lament helps close that distance, as, as happens in this prayer, as we then turn to trust God yep. uh, anyway, nonetheless, in the face of uh, these things. Thanks for bringing up lament, Mark. A little rabbit trail, though. But HB, what is, what is your church, anything you want to highlight that you guys do in practice? We in our local church try to fill our Sunday meetings with prayer. We have weekly prayer meetings that now are on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. Uh, but across the calendar, and we're in a planning season now for next year, across the calendar, uh, we as elders try to mark special times of prayer intentionally where we are moving things on the calendar, sometimes cleaning out a week for special gatherings of the body to go to God together uh, in prayer. Uh, next year being an election year, we are thinking about where we should be marking special times of prayer specifically for that so that uh, we start our year every year uh, in prayer with prayer focus, but we're trying to be more intentional about the strategic times we, we place them throughout the year as well. Great, great. John? Much the same as Pastor T. Um, we have a once a month prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. So for the first year of the church, we had it on Sunday nights, and um, it was just a terrible time for our church with a bunch of parents, with young kids, that they said it's much better Wednesday nights than it would be on Sunday, and we changed it, and yeah, we saw that that was the best thing for us. So, yeah. Great. You're a member of the yeah. church, brother. I mean, I, I don't know that I have anything to add. I'm, 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 thank, I'm thankful for just, just having been an intern at CHBC and, and, and been discipled in that way to be able to take many of the things that you spoke about uh, this morning into our context. So just sounded very familiar and, and it was it was good to good reminder so thank you i'll apply it to the seminary contacts we pray a lot more now than we ever have in my 15 years here uh, we start a chapel with a song and then always scripture reading prayer we then always focus on the nations and someone will share a need about either north america or the world uh, and then we pray again. Uh, the chapel speakers, it's left up to them. Some of them will pray before they preach. Uh, they always pray after they preach. And we got really brought under conviction last year. Gordon Fort, who worked with IMB, talked about the fact that, well, yeah, we usually pray at the end of a sermon. Why do we pray at the end of the sermon? Well, we need time for the musicians to get in place. And that's all it is, it's a filler. And it brought, and I'm not saying churches are wrong for doing that, okay? But we don't do that anymore. So our musicians know that when the pastor concludes his sermon and prays, they just stay right where they are. And yeah, when he says amen, there are 30 seconds or so for them to have to get in place, get hooked up, because we do, we, we have the pastor preach earlier so that if we have to cut something, we, we do have to be a little more sensitive because we have classes scheduled we will cut a song at the end, not the sermon. 
and because we want to give primacy to the preaching of the word and to praying. And then almost always at the end of the service, those who are leading the uh, music will close the service in prayer. So you've got minimally four prayers in our chapel time and sometimes as many as six. And especially, though, I want to just say this, praying for the nations. Um, it's one thing to say you're a great commission seminary. It's another thing to actually flesh it out. And students will tell us that, well, I heard about this, but, I mean, we like pray for the nations every time we gather. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we'll keep doing that. You modeled that for us this morning in leading us. Thank you, brother. Brian? Um, we have uh, morning prayer on Sunday from 9.45 to 10.15. Um, then first and third Sunday evenings we'll do evening service. We, we took most of what we did from CHBC, so that was really, really helpful to see that example. And it's, it served us really, really well. Great. Thank you, brother. Mark? One good example that we don't do at our church, but that I've seen and been just so built up by every time. Uh, I remember in the 90s when I was in South Africa, uh, I think literally every church I was at had about a 45-minute or an hour-long prayer meeting before everything got started on Sunday morning. What you said just reminded me of it. And it was well attended uh, in every church I was at. And it was, it was vigorous prayer, and it was just so encouraging. We haven't done that. Well, we do have a, we do, I guess we do have a brief prayer meeting from 9 to 9.15 on Sunday morning. But anyway, that's a, that was an edifying thing to be a part of. Brothers, I need to do a raffle giveaway and show a video, but are is there any last words? This is our last panel. Something that's not been said, you want to say, needs to be said before we hear our brother Thabiti. On this topic of prayer, personally, pastorally, corporately. Uh, if you're going to go back home and you plan to start one, uh, don't be discouraged by the lack of attendance. Uh, what we just tried to show to our church early on is that um, every acorn inside has the potential to grow into an oak tree. And so just play the long game. Be faithful with that small yeah, plant. And yeah, God doesn't hear us because of our many words or the many bodies in a room. So just start with what you have and be faithful. And on, on the subject of singing God's praises for, for those of you who may feel like I'm not a singer or I don't like to sing or I can't keep a tune. Um, it's not a performance. Um, God said, make a joyful noise. Um, and, and so don't, don't, don't be discouraged from, from offering up praise to God in song as he has commanded because you feel like your voice isn't, isn't adequate. That's, that's not what God is looking at. He's not looking at the adequacy of your voice, but the sincerity of your heart.